This is Peter Newman, author of the Vagrant series, and you're listening to the Grim Tidings podcast. It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. And today's guest is back for his third time on the show, Gamel Award-winning fantasy author and podcaster from foggy London town online at runpetewright.com. It's Peter Newman. Peter, how you doing? Hello. Hi. I'm very glad to be here. In a funny kind of way, it feels a bit like coming home, coming here. You know? Oh, wow. Because, well, you know, this was the first one that I kind of came on to. And this is our third date, so things will get very exciting. <laughs> third time around. And technically, this is the fourth time I've interviewed you, too, because uh, I interviewed you for a print interview at our grimdarkfiction.blogspot.com blog that we had back in the day. So I've interviewed the hell out of you, Peter Newman. So, Gosh. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave my underwear at the door. <laughs> you must really like us. So that's that's cool. And you just had a new book that dropped in the U.S. on March 7th, the dystopian epic fantasy novel The Malice. Book two of the Vagrant series just dropped in the U.S. March 7th, so that's available for everybody to purchase and buy right now. The link is in the show notes if you wanted to pick up a copy. And we do have a contest giveaway today. We're going to be giving away two copies of The Malice, uh, U.S. only, because it's the U.S. release, so uh, not international, U.S. only, so... All you have to do is email us at grimdarkfiction at gmail.com. That's grimdarkfiction at gmail.com. In the subject line, write the malice. Put your name and address in the body of the email. And uh, the first two people to email us after this episode drops will win a copy of the malice, courtesy of the awesome publishers at Harper Voyager for hooking that up. So very exciting. Two copies of the malice to give away today. Thanks again for hooking that up, Peter. Uh, very cool. Um, so the malice is the second book in the series. Give us a little tease of what the malice is about and uh, what readers can expect when they read this uh, fine novel. Sure. So the, the malice is set uh, some years after the vagrant and it's really looking at the consequences of the first book and how characters cope in this new world. So as well as the old characters who are still knocking around, you've now got a new generation of um, uh, humans and demons and goats who are all kind of finding their way. Um, and some of the things that happened in the first book, you kind of see how it plays out in the second and I suppose it's not spoiling too much to say as well that the, the Malice is a different protagonist to the Vagrant, although the Vagrant is still, you know, around. Uh, and, and tonally, it is slightly different as well. Um, although it's still, you know, the same demon-infested world uh, and uh, it still has the same kind of adventures as the first. And uh, the Malice has been out for a little while in the UK, and it's already been long-listed for a Gamel Award. So you're uh, up for the uh, Legend Award and then the cover... Art is up for a, an award as well, um, and that artist is uh, uh, Jamie Jones. Jamie Jones, yeah. So fantastic yeah, cover art, yeah. Yeah, he's. I mean, the guy is amazing, and uh, I'm absolutely. So in fact, that cover for the Malice is on my wall in my front room. Um, it, is, it is that good, um, and yeah, it's it, it's long listed as you say for a legend award now. So I'm in the big pond right. with the really big <laughs> fish, which is a little scary, but uh, yes, it's. Always not. And nice. folks, but we'll see. I mean, it, yeah. 
folks listening to the show can go to uh, gamelawards.com and go vote for Peter uh, for the Legend Award and then for Jamie for the cover art as well. So there's still time to get you from the big pond into the small pond and maybe pick up <laughs> yet another Gamel Award because you already won one before for the Vagrant. So keep the streak alive, right? That, that would be a beautiful thing. In fact, I'm pretty sure last time I came on the show, um, you guys had just won an award and you were saying it was my turn to win an award. I think it was something <laughs> like that. And uh, so I'm hoping you guys are going to have a good year this year because it's your turn, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Where That'd is your, be great. Where is your Gamel Award right now? Where is it at? Uh, it's in my front room. Yeah. Uh, I, the Morningstar Award is uh, a pretty awesome in terms of – I don't know if you've seen the – the picture in mm-hmm. fact if anyone goes to my facebook or uh, twitter or anything like that you will see a, a picture of me looking fairly happy standing next to scott lynch <laughs> but i'm holding the award in my hand so you can zoom in and see it it's it's, uh, it's worth a peek it's a very cool award. Uh, yes, yeah it's, it's great and it's, it's in my front room uh, so that the maximum number of people will see it as they come into my house <laughs> <laughs> because that's how i roll it's a good conversation piece if somebody sees that the they'd be like Wow, that's a really cool statue. Well, let me tell you how yeah. I yeah. received the statue. <laughs> it's like you've been there, Rob. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. <laughs> you've been there. Amazing. Yeah. As far as the malice itself, is it spoilerish territory to tell us what the malice actually is? No, not really. Uh, the malice is what the demons call the sword that you can see on the cover. Mm. Ooh. So what does the malice malice do to demons that makes them shit their demon (laughs) underpants well generally speaking uh it is to be near it for a demon is extremely unpleasant uh and it and as you might imagine it's extremely good at a carving demons up and and b destroying their very essence so yeah Uh, and also it has it has if you like a lot of beef with demons it really doesn't like them so uh Mm. it and it's a sentient sword so it is it is looking for uh, ways to cause them harm most of the time that's badass yeah. and you're you're actually gearing up for the release of the final book in the trilogy the seven um in april in london so you got big plans for the release of the the final release there um yeah uh, mod- modest plans i'd like to say <laughs> i mean it's um yeah the launch is going to happen at waterstones piccadilly there which is an amazing store on lots mm-hmm. of different floors and things um and we're going to have uh these really cool cupcakes, which we had for the Malice last year, and there, it's a cupcake with a edible version of the book on top, <laughs> <laughs> which is just really cool. So last year, if you did like Malice selfies or with the cupcakes eating them and stuff, um, so I'm hoping we'll get that kind of going again. Um, my agent Juliet Mushins is going to do the uh, like Q and A, so it should be nice. We're going to have like a little sit down, a bit of wine, some cupcakes, a bit of a chat, a bit of Q and A, and then signing. So yeah, it should be it should be really nice. It gives no meaning to digesting a book <laughs> <Da-da-da>. <laughs> because, because you're eating the cupcake. <laughs> we need Grim Tidings podcast cupcakes. I think would be cool. Be Everybody- f- full of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> the taste of grim. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. And then you just released the uh, cover art for the seven as well over at uh, runpeterite.com. So if folks want to head over to your website and take a look at that. It's another yet stunning and beautiful cover. You really got these covers dialed in, Peter. I will give you that. Yeah, I mean, I'm super lucky to have Jamie Jones, to be honest, because he does such a good job with all of them. Um, and Fancy Faction did a really nice reveal as well uh, whilst we're. So if anyone who's not familiar with them, if you whack Fancy Faction into Google, 
and uh, and head over there. They've got the cover reveal there as well. Yes, fantasy um, action is awesome. <clears throat> so yeah, and you know, as, as an author, we have to look at our covers a lot. And we also often have to stand next to our books and look like we're really pleased with them. <laughs> so having a so having a cover, I can't imagine anything worse than hating your cover. Mm. So having a cover that you you are really proud of is actually makes such a difference. You know, in terms of it's almost like the equivalent of if you've got a really nice outfit to wear when you're going out, um, that you feel better and you feel more confident. So if I'm doing public events, when I've got a book that I feel really proud of the cover of i feel proud to stand there and talk about it whereas so yes I, i'm extremely grateful to, to jamie for, for everything he's done really maybe that's why i feel like shit sometimes because i never dress up <laughs> i <laughs> yeah, should dress see, up just, more it's not just about books it's about life okay. <laughs> we're, all, we're all learning something and you've got uh, multiple other projects going on you are uh, a author for the albion online um mmo um, and you wrote a novel for them, a tie-in novel, uh, Landfall, which is also available for purchase. You're getting some good reviews on that novel as well. And then uh, what's the latest with uh, your Tea and Jeopardy podcast, the uh, Hugo Award-winning and Alfie Award-winning podcast, Tea and Jeopardy, yes. that you that you co-host-ish with your wife, Emma Newen. What's the latest with uh, Tea and Jeopardy you've got, Peter? So I should probably mention that we haven't won a Hugo Award. We've been oh, nominated, uh, nominated twice. <laughs> we did win an Alfie, which was awesome. Right. Um, so the the just in case it was out for all on the awards committee. Um. So in terms of the latest, I guess well we back in every uh, December we do our Advent calendar. So that's uh, an episode every day of Advent, which is there are short episodes, but they're it, it's pretty full on. Um. So we had that in December, and then we we just started rolling things on, and the next new thing is we've got a a spin-off show that is for patrons only. So Tea and Jeopardy is, is on Patreon. And if you support us, you become a member of the Order of the Sacred Teacup. <laughs> and one of the latest benefits is that every month we're, we've started this thing called Ask Latimer. So for anyone who's not heard of the podcast before and is like, well, what is he talking about? Um, Tea and Jeopardy is an interview podcast, a little bit like this one. Um, but it, it features a bit of audio drama um, as well. So at the, each episode is set in a different tea layer. Uh, tea layers are often in fantastical settings. So they're sometimes like on a giant robot or on the back of a bird or in a spaceship or in a volcano or something like that. And uh, the guest comes to the tea layer, they get interviewed, and then they face some kind of peril. So they've had their tea and cake. And they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Then something bad happens and they have to escape or fight or do something to survive. Uh, and in that podcast, there is a butler called Latimer. Some people say I sound and look a lot like him, but I think it's a little bit rude. Uh, <laughs> but in the, nevertheless, um, we're doing this thing called Ask Latimer. So if you're a member of the Order of the Sacred Teacup or if you've been a guest on Teen Jeopardy, you can write a letter to ask him for advice. And he will then read out your letter and, and give Spence advice. Uh, and the first episode went up in February, and the second one is going to go up very, very soon. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a way to sort of a special reward for people who are supporting the show. So that's probably the the, the most kind of exciting or new thing that's happening with that. But yeah, we're still chogging along and uh, and having fun, which is good. Uh, there is, I can't <laughs> I can't confirm or deny anything yet, but we are in talks about future live shows because we did. Um, Guys, back in 20, 
trying to think it was 15 or 16 but we did a a light the last live show we did was with brandon sanderson in um uh, fantasy con and we're in talks about possibly more live shows so that's quite exciting too that obscure author brandon sanderson yeah you probably Maybe. haven't heard of him no. <laughs> he writes writes occasionally you know book every 10 years <laughs> no he he was fabulous to be honest um right. because one of the things about the show is particularly with the, the live shows are almost like pantomime in a way so you have to be up for a bit of silliness and he was really up for it and uh, yeah it was a good laugh because uh, we sometimes ask people to do things that you know they might not normally do and, and he was well up for it so yeah it was, it's very good there is actually a uh, recording of that live show i mean it's not uh, designed to be videoed if you like um but if anyone is interested uh, if they go to the tea and jeopardy sites you can you can find it there and, and watch uh, and we've even done our own little um, pastiche of the 20th century fox thing with a teacup. <laughs> yeah, it's worth a peek. And you've had uh, um, one of the past guests we've had on our show, Sebastian DeCastell, was on your show. You've also, also had uh, authors Kate Elliott, John Gwynn, Zen Cho. Lots of cool people have been on that show, so definitely oh, people tons. should check it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've been very lucky with our guests. There's some really great people have been on. I'm curious about Patreon. Uh, we haven't gotten too much feedback from authors about how it how it's worked for them um could you tell us a little bit about how patreon has worked for you as far as uh generating uh, more interest in the products or uh is it is it worth the effort that you're putting into it for the for the money uh, could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that <laughs> um yeah i can talk a bit about it i mean one of the things about tea and jeopardy is that takes a huge amount of work to produce and i should hold my hands up and say a majority of that work is done by emma okay so uh we we work on the scripts together for it and there are sections that we have to record together but emma is the one who does the interview and emma is the one who does all the editing and if you've ever listened to seeing jeopardy you'll know that there's sound effects and there's music and there's all kinds of things you know there are singing mm -hmm. chickens and all kinds of things that we have to, to put into the show uh, so it's it's not a small job. It's not a case of just quick, quickly kind of editing an interview or or something like that. Uh, it, it can it takes you know a lot of work to get the finished product out there. Mm -hmm. And we started off doing it purely as a just a thing to do for kind of fun. But as time went on, with a lot of these things, I suppose as it grew, it became more complicated and more involved. And we had to, uh, you know, and we take it quite seriously. I guess like you guys do, you know, we try to make it as professional as we can. And when you start to put all that together, you think, well, we need to value that time in some way. So we, I, the thing I like about Patreon as, as a model is that people who want to can support the show. We didn't want to, we didn't want to kind of gate the show off and say, all right, it's only available for money. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time for people who are able to, and who want to, it's a really nice thing that they can, they can support the show and we give them kind of what we can back. Um, and it enables us to do it because ultimately I think there will come a point, you know, a few years in where we'd say, actually, this is taking so much of our time, uh, and effort that we wouldn't be able to continue it. Whereas this allows us to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, I think you are something Phil about, uh, how it's helped. I, I, I don't know to what extent Patreon, if you like itself has helped promote the show. I don't have kind of figures or, or, uh, I think the, the show is partly promoted by uh, Geek Planet Online, which is the network that they they put we go out through, and just through through our own stuff that have then come to Patreon because they've listened to the show, and we've gone that way. 
However, I, I suspect some people will have found us just through Patreon. But I, what those numbers are, I have no idea. Mm. Um, the other really good thing about Patreon is it, is it creates a hub for you to connect with your supporters. And one of the nice things about that is when we have guests coming on the show, we can talk to our patrons and say, are there any things you want to ask them? We can talk about new things we've got going on. And they can message us very easily and we can go back and forth with that kind of thing. So uh, it's a nice way just to, to form a kind of a, a good link between you and the people that want to know more about the show. And Have you ever considered doing anything <clears throat> as an individual author, like on Patreon or anything like that? Some authors do Patreon and they do re- the best ones, as far as I've seen, are ones where, for example, they'll do, say, a short story every month for mm-hmm. people that sign up. Because I think it works best where people are getting something on a regular basis um, that is normal, either that is exclusive to them or they are enabling it to happen as a thing. Um, and I, I have written, you know, in, in shorter mediums, uh, which actually is a neat link because I should probably talk about uh, the vagrant of the city at some point as well. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about uh, <sighs> the two short stories. Well, you're a good man. <laughs> 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 See, this is why I like coming here, you know? So, but so yeah, I could do that, but I mean, I don't have time at the moment. But it's something, something I, uh, I'm getting involved in. I don't know how to what extent I can talk about it yet, because I, I always have to have something I can't talk about when I come. Of to the course, show. that's your mo. Uh, but uh, <laughs> having having said that, I can tell you guys once we're done, right off air, because this sure. is our fourth date now. So I should like tell you my <laughs> secrets. Um, but something that I am getting involved in that I can talk vaguely about is. Um, I, I was asked to write something, uh, a short piece for someone, and I wasn't very inspired, as in said in their world. And I said, hey, how about instead of me writing like a bit of short fiction, I write a choose-your-own-adventure thing set in your Ooh. world. Oh. Um, and that's going to be going live in the next couple of months, I think. Cool. Um, very experimental. Uh, but essentially, yeah, it'll be open to everybody. And the, the idea is that uh, they'll get to read the thing, and then in the comments they can choose what they would do and then based on the number of people who vote the winning vote will be the, the choice made and then we'll go on from the story from there that's um, fucking cool so that is pretty cool and yeah. i'm you know we'll we'll see it's it's very uh, it's very early days but i you know it'll be a bit of fun and uh i will i will shout about that a bit nearer the time when it when it comes out now i'm sure there was something we were going to talk about what was oh that? yeah yeah i remember <laughs> now stories or something oh, that's so, fiction yeah so short fiction uh i'm a big fan of short fiction uh i'm primarily a writer of short fiction also so i'm kind of in that wheelhouse uh, you have a couple of stories out in the vagrant universe you have the hammer and the goat and the vagrant and the city could you tell us a little bit about these short stories and are there any other plans to do more of these kind of snippets of your universe? Yeah, I'd love to talk about this. So the hammer and the goat and the vagrant of the city are, are quite different uh, entities, really. The hammer and the goat is set parallel to the vagrant and it's best read after you've read the first book. Mm. It's talking really about, there's a bit in the vagrant where the vagrant himself goes off to do some stuff and the hammer and the goat are left in a different location. And it's what they do. It's what they get up to while they're away. And you get the hammer that walks was quite a a popular character and was one that I wanted to spend a bit more time with. So you get to know a bit more about her background and 
also that uh, she and the goat go on an adventure within the story as well. Uh, I, I would say it's not essential to have read The Vagrants to read The Hammer and the Goat, but I would argue it's a lot. It's, a, it's, it's designed to be read that way. Mm. And then The Vagrant and the City is set between books two and three in the Vagrant series. So after the Malice, before the Seven. And it's set about five years after the Malice. And it's really talking about, because I, I don't want to spoil the Malice for you guys, but mm-hmm. the status quo is changed at the end of the Malice. And it is a kind of a question of, well, what does the Vagrant do now? Because the Vagrant is not the focus in book two. Uh, for those people who missed, you know, the Vagrant does appear in book two, but he's not the center, central figure. And for those people who were missing the Vagrant, you got the Vagrant of the city. Mm. Uh, and it's, a, a self, again, a self-contained story, but it does tease some things for book three. If you, if you finish the Malice and you're like, oh, I don't want to wait a whole year or whatever till the, <laughs> the book three comes out, you can get your fix there. Mm. Um, but they're, they're quite different in a way in that uh, the Vagrant in the City kind of fits between the stories, whereas the, the Hammer and the Goat kind of sits alongside a story, which is it. And, and it was an interesting challenge to write them because uh, writing short fiction that fits within a world, but also you've got to kind of tell that world or remind people about that world without going into too much detail that's, mm-hmm. that's laborious. And at the same time, it's got to be satisfying on its own. You know, it can't be something which only works as almost like a chapter cut out of another book. It's got to work as a story in its own right. Um, and the, the, in, say, The Vagrant in the City, the Vagrant has his own story arc within that story and has, a, has character development and changes. And also, at, but at the same time, it's part of a wider universe, so I wanted to tease some things for book three and you know, drop in a few other juicy little tidbits here and there as well. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And the last part of your question, I think, was about are there plans to do more? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is not at this moment. But that's not to say never, but not at this moment. Okay. Yeah, I really like the idea that a lot of authors that are writing a series, they're exploring the their universe a lot more outside of the main series. Uh, I kind of like these like mini adventure ideas, and I think it's a cool thing a lot of authors have been doing recently, and it's a, it's a good way to give fans something to hold on to while they're waiting for the next book to come out. Yeah, I mean, I think. I'm happy to do them on the condition that I, I feel I have a good enough story to use, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because, and also uh, the other tension, cause I, I, what you said, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with, I do agree with you is that tension between wanting to give people that extra bit of something, but also not necessarily, I don't know, killing every mystery. Yeah. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. I think it's nice that we don't necessarily know who every mysterious stranger is and we don't know what's behind every door. I think there's a balance. Like sometimes it's great to go back and find out, but sometimes it's good to never know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I I sometimes feel, particularly in this modern age, where if something is profitable, then more of it tends to get made. But sometimes you get that in a, in say a TV show where the first three seasons are absolutely must-watch viewing, but by season five or by season twenty-seven, you're like, <laughs> okay. You know, these people, they've done everything they were going to do now. And this actually, there was a point to leave them and it was three years ago. So I think that's a very difficult thing to hold on to because knowing when that cutoff point is, is, is really difficult. Yeah, because there's a lot of people who may push something too far. 
and it may overstay its welcome or but there's some things that go on for a while and you still want more of them so mm-hmm. for example breaking bad was one of my favorite tv shows and when it ended i was like man i wish this show would just keep going but then part of me was like well can't really keep going um that's why they do spinoffs and stuff like that i wonder as well is that's the the sign of a really good storyteller though if yeah, the story yeah. ends and you feel like it was satisfying and it was great and a bit of you would have liked more and you end always with that feeling that it was wonderful and you wanted more. Like that is a, I would love it to end all my stories there. Yeah, because like other series, like The Wheel of Time, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure most readers were like, fucking end this thing already by the time <laughs> it, it wrapped up. And now they have a dictionary compendium outlining every <laughs> single thing that's in there. So, uh, but yeah. So do you, do you feel like you've kind of accomplished that with the, with wrapping up the trilogy of the vagrant? Do you feel like it's been a, a uh, satisfying ending, uh, completing the series finally at, at the risk of sounding smug or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. And, um, and also I feel like the arc for those characters and that story I wanted to tell is told. Mm-hmm. So whilst I might come back to the world, or do things there. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna come back to those characters in that time and tell them, you know. But what did they do the next day? You know, <laughs> that is that is done. It is the, the story is told that I wanted to tell. So I, I feel, yeah, I feel happy from that point of view. Now, obviously, if I suddenly had inspiration for another amazing story, then then fine. But at the moment, I feel like I'm there. And interestingly, when I'd written the Vagrant, which originally I thought was going to be kind of a standalone in my head, I started to get ideas that no, it wasn't. I had more I wanted to tell. And with the malice, I knew by then that it was the three books. Um, but with the seven, I'm not sitting there thinking, right, I'm now ready to write the seven part two or anything like that. You know, <laughs> it's we, we are the full stop is there. So then you're done with the vagrant. So the next series that you're working on, and I believe you just men- mentioned before we started the show that you finished book one is the series called The Deathless. Yes, which- indeed. Yeah. So I'm I'm in a very wonderful position where um Harper have signed me up for another three books in a new series. And uh, yeah, I've just finished the first draft of book one. Uh, so it is it is sitting with my agent at the moment. And I'm kind of uh, trying not to refresh my email every five seconds. You know, she hasn't had it that long. Um, but waiting, waiting for the feedback on that. Uh, so the, the Deathless is, uh, what's a quick way to talk about it? it it's dealing with people who are immortal. Uh, families or houses of people who are immortal but this particular branch of immortality is that they can reincarnate into the bodies of their descendants so for example if you you could if you if you died they could do this ritual and they could bring back your soul into the body of your son or daughter or grandchildren etc and so that's how it works they kind of they bounce from life to life and yeah, there are these kind of immortal people who live in these floating palaces in the sky. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, you know, the kind of Grimm's tales where there are the, the kind of the mysterious woods and the spooky things that live in there and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, imagine that, but kind of like with my spin on it. So think more like demons in the woods uh, <laughs> and, and kind of twisted monstrosities in the woods. So you've mm. got this kind of this world below that is extremely dangerous and threatening. And these kind of um, and people who live under extreme peril on the edges of these woods and these immortals who kind of live above them um, as their kind of lords who also um, protect them from the things in the woods. It's that kind of story. And the, the kind of the set, the, the beginning premise, if you like, is that 
one of these immortals who is between lives at the moment. He's about to reincarnate into his new life. Um, there is an attempt to assassinate him. Um, but obviously, being an immortal and the kind of thing he is, you can't just kill him. You have to kill every single one of his bloodline in terms of his descendants to wipe him out. So there are, his, his bloodline is being hunted down um, at the start of the book. And that's kind of the, the premise is that someone is trying to, to wipe him out. And, you know, why and etc. becomes a thing in the book. But that's not coming out for like two years. So like, well, yeah, it's not coming out for a while. And, and I always feel almost like time travel when I come on the show because you know <laughs> we talk about we've just talked about the seven, which is coming out in the UK in a month. But actually, you guys, you're going to get it sometime later. Mm-hmm. And you've just got the malice. You've just got. So I said to travel back in time. <laughs> you know, we're the Grim Time Machine <laughs> podcast. Yes, the Grim Time Machine. We wanted to ask you a little bit about what's going on in your world at the moment. You like to talk about what you're doing on uh, social media, uh, things you're watching on the television or Mm -hmm. the things you're reading or recent hauls that you've received. Uh, One interesting haul that you got that I noticed was you got Ben Galley's Heart of Stone and Mass Effect Andromeda, which is... Uh, a game I'm super jealous that you have because <laughs> I fucking want that game. Um, could you tell us about any anything uh, about those two things that you got recently? Um, I can't tell you much about Heart of Stone yet uh, beyond the fact that I like the cover because I haven't started reading it. In fact, okay. when I put that post up, uh, Ben, the author, said to me, hey, I see you've got my book and you've also got Mass Effect Andromeda. Play the game for a while, you know, don't worry about the, but I'd play that game. It looks great. <laughs> to, to which I replied, deal. <laughs> and I've been playing the game. But I will, I've got, I mean, it's, I, I normally don't like reading more than one thing at a time, but because mm. of various reasons. So I'm, I'm reading, um, uh, what's it called? A Crown for Cold Silver by Alex Marshall at the moment. Oh, yeah. Which I love is that. Uh, Good shit. Epic fantasy, very character driven, quite irreverent. Um, and I'm loving it too, but I'm reading it very slowly because I'm also reading some other stuff for work and uh, other bits and bobs that I've got kind of on the go. But yes, that is on my list of, of things to read. And in terms of things I've watched, in a in a grim, dark as fuck moment, I've just been watching <laughs> The Crown on Netflix, <laughs> which is all about Queen Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> but it is is a phenomenal piece of TV. If you've got Netflix, I strongly advise that you you watch it. Otherwise, yes, Mass Effect. So I'm a, I'm a very big Mass Effect fan. I love the series. Mass Effect Andromeda is really interesting in so far as I've only played it a little bit because I've, uh, as I was saying to you before the show, I've had to do a lot of decorating and things in the house at the moment. And I also, it, it arrived for me a day early in the shop, but when the phone call came, I was in my car going to do something parental based. So I could abandon my child and like pull a Yui and go and get my game, or I had to go and get my child. And I'm sad to say that I went to get my child, so I was safe and warm, but I did not get the game a day early. So I I, I wept tears over that. Uh, mm. But yeah, the, the game there was there's been a lot of anger, like serious rage online. I seem to have seen oh really out the corner of my eye about Mass Effect Andromeda, and it's it's not a game without flaws. However, I'm really enjoying it, and it feels to me like Mass Effect One. So far as you have a you have a vehicle to drive again, and it feels more about exploration, Mm. and it looks lovely in terms of the the frostbite engine looks really good. So yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. Um, I can see why some people have some criticisms for it. I'm not really sure why people are threatening other people or 
raging <laughs> or tearing things. You know, it's like, well, it is, it is just a game. I mean, you know, but yeah, uh, I'm enjoying that. Uh, oh, the other game I'm playing, which is also grimdark as fuck, is um, Stardew Valley. <laughs> Oh, yeah. a, farm, a farming simulator is a beautiful game i have <laughs> you, that i have that also <laughs> if you've um if you've recently read the news in either the uk or the us and you're feeling a little bit sad which i completely understand um <laughs> then go and play stardew valley it's just yeah. it's a beautiful place to go and it's it's one of those games which just feels good you know I, there are some times in games where I have like a worry. Like I seem to be killing a lot of things. Should I be killing these things? Are they, <laughs> have they, are they really that bad? You know, there's an interesting thing in Andromeda where you meet this alien race who are quite aggressive and hostile. So obviously you're fighting them, but there's still this bit of me going, yeah, but we don't really know anything about, I mean, we've had like a first contact and we're <laughs> shooting each other. Maybe this is just a misunderstanding. <laughs> Maybe, you know, this is not good, but in Stardew Valley, it's all good. You never feel bad. You always feel lovely. Oh, the other thing I should say is you can have goats in Stardew Valley. So, of course, I have goats. Oh. I have the goat. Uh, and I also have the kid. And um, I won't say spoilers about other goats that appear later. But nonetheless, I've rather sadly named the goats after the goats in my book. Uh, other, other animals, I think my cows are named after characters from Avatar, The Legend of Aang. And my chickens are named after the Chaos Gods in Warhammer 40k. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah, it's great. It's, it's a beautiful game. Anyway. It's uh for people that don't know, don't know it's similar to the Har- Harvest Moon series uh, that maybe people are more familiar with that it's like a farming simulator kind of game but uh, I guess it I haven't played that much of it actually because I'm too busy murdering uh, <laughs> murdering alien races <laughs> finish and other sentence. games finish that sentence quick <laughs> murdering <laughs> too busy murdering this is my confession no um yeah so it is definitely a good break from typical kind of action shoot 'em up game or stabbing people or whatever you know nice relaxing farming simulation and also you get to know people in the town and you can get to you can have relationships and you can help them out and you feel good about yourself and there's a bit of adventuring as well but a very gentle adventuring in the mind <laughs> <laughs> and and you know and sometimes really weird things happen like witches turn up or fairies or you know oh, wow. i haven't got to that part yeah, it's not. It's sometimes weird stuff happens too. It's a little bit magical. So as you can tell, I'm quite a fan. <laughs> well, we are about ready to wrap up the damn show, Peter. Uh, but we wanted to do the best of Newman. So we're going to get the <laughs> the best of what you have. We want um, the best TV show, the best book, the best game, the best meal. Um, so we're going to get the best because we we just we love the crap out of you. So we want to know what, what you're digging on lately. So it's the best of Newman. Uh, the first thing we wanted to ask you is the best TV show ever. What's the best TV show for Peter Newman? Well, that I've ever seen, ever seen. Yeah. The best. Oh gosh. Tricky. I suppose I would say the wire. Oh, no, I still haven't seen that. I mean, it, it took me an episode or two to bed in, but I think it probably is one of the single best pieces of television ever made. I've heard that before uh, from folks. Um, and if I could sneak in a second, I'd probably say Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries because I'm dark as fuck. Oh yeah, you mentioned you mentioned that last time. <laughs> and then the next one uh, from the best of Newman. What's the best book ever? Oh, see that that's a burn. You know how can I answer that? But if you know if you had me tied to a chair and you know you're applying hot poke to my private parts or something, I would I guess I would I would probably say. The Live Ship books by Robin Hobb. Oh, oh. good choice. Yeah, Live Ship Traders. Yeah, the recent and Robin Hobb like, book got a lot of good reviews recently. 
I'm about like four or five trilogies away from her latest. Having said, <laughs> very, very excited because she's coming to the UK. So I'm I'm gonna go and be like all fanish and please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, great. Because um, I actually I met very briefly was in the same room at least as Robin Hobb but I hadn't read any of her books so I was completely cool about it and since I have read those books and I will now not be cool at all <laughs> so <laughs> yes I'm excited about that if I could like harvest from Robin Hobb's brain a thing it would be the ability to make characters that are so uh compelling and real there's a device in uh live ship in particular that I think is brilliant where you have two disparate groups of people and the fate of one is also dependent on the fate of the other, and it goes both ways. So in everything, it's like a double threat situation. It's not just like, will this person survive? It's like, will they survive and get back here in time? And when you oh. come back to the other one, it's like, are they going to hold the fort long enough? You know, and it's, so it's, it's like super tension <laughs> in everything. And, and I certainly think reading her books and reading, and not just her books as well, but uh, you know, I've read a lot of, if you like, top flight fantasy authors in the last couple of years looking at the things they do well. I've, I've been actively doing that and trying to work out how they do it. You know. And next up in the Best of Newman is the best game ever. It could be a video game, board game, but when you think of the best game you have ever played. Uh, right, I'm going to cheat, I think, on this one a little bit. I mean, Mass Effect 2 is the one that always I, I just had the best fun in. Uh, although, arguably, you know, probably, if I'm talking about RPGs, I'd probably talk about Planescape Torment, really, or people get upset. And <laughs> But in... Uh, and, and the non-computer game game would be D and D, as in the, the role-playing tabletop game. Mm. Uh, and I would say Fifth Ed is my tipple of choice when it comes Ooh. to existence. But I haven't played that version. It's great. It's like uh, it's kind of got the nostalgia value of Second Edition, but it play and and it's like Third was great, but Third was also super complicated. I mm. think, uh, and Fifth Ed is much more streamlined, but still has the heart. I feel. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. All right, and then uh, next up in the best of Newman, best meal ever. Oh, um, so I years and years and years ago, a friend of mine who's a very good cook cooked for us like a big. It was like around kind of Christmas time, and she cooked this beef Wellington, and it went mm. down in history as like the beef Wellington. <laughs> so uh, it's unlikely that Amanda is listening to this, but Amanda, if you are listening, I still love that beef Wellington. It still has a place in my heart even now. <laughs> uh, nothing is ever quite compared to that. You know, the funny thing about Beef Wellington is I associate that with Chef Ramsay, like getting really fucking pissed off at people for not cooking it correctly. <laughs> That's it. Every time I hear Beef Wellington, I think, it's fucking raw. <laughs> yeah, so like I couldn't cook. That's, that's, that's out of my league of cooking skills to do a good Beef Wellington. So I really appreciate people that can. Gordon Ramsay is like the polar opposite of Peter Newman. <laughs> <laughs> Two completely different spectrums there. Yeah, I I just don't think I can be that horrible to people <laughs> in that manner and not I think I would die of guilt afterwards. <laughs> There'd be like this, you know, if I had Gordon Ramsay's show, there'd be a bit in the credits which was just me going up to people saying I'm so sorry. I really, <laughs> how can I make this up to you? <laughs> I didn't mean to be so rude. It was a bad day. I lost my temper. I'm so sorry. Have some chocolates, you know. <laughs> You're just a civilized gentleman, Peter. That's all there is to it. <laughs> well, that's that's the image I like to project anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last of the best of Newman best thing about being an author oh wow that is really hard to answer because there were lots and lots of great things about besides being, being on the Grim Tidings podcast oh that's... which of course was going to be the thing that I'd say. <laughs> but, um, I suppose I get this feeling like I'm going to say actually I'm going to cheat and you're going to say you cheated about three times now and there's going to be this horrible <laughs> clackman 
and then like <laughs> people with knives are going to come out the woodwork or something. But uh, I I suppose I mean primarily the best thing about being an author is doing the thing that you love. My job is to write books. Mm-hmm. That is by far the best thing about it. I mean I can't imagine do it wanting to do anything more than what I do, and that is worth everything really. And you know when people said to me about like well how well do you want the books to do all that kind of business and you know with the vagrant series obviously i want them to be international bestsellers etc but actually all i really wanted was for them to do well enough that half would get me on for another series (laughs) and they did and all i really want my next series to do is do well enough that i can keep doing it that's it really i don't need a super flash car or you know three tons of bling i just need to keep doing this because if i can't i'm going to be really miserable <laughs> so it would suck this is in, in, a, in a sense living the dream so that is probably the best thing i mean there are like a bajillion other really wonderful things too though so you know if someone i don't know tweets me or sends me a message on facebook or puts up a post or whatever saying how they love the book that is the best thing ever too you know the idea that you've made something and someone loves it because there's something really personal as you as you know i know i'm not sure if you write rob but i know um that you do feel that when you yeah. produce something there is nothing better than someone saying they liked it you know that is just the best feeling ever in the world it also sometimes feels good when people say something shitty about it because for me because <laughs> then it makes me feel like okay i'm getting positive feedback but i'm also getting negative feedback i'm not getting Eh, it was okay. I like to evoke one or the other. You know, I want people to either really like what I'm doing and get it, or or just not like it. Period. <laughs> I don't like the. Yeah, it was fun. I don't like that. I don't <laughs> yeah, so like you're, that. You're, ta- you're talking about people feeling motivated to give a kind of a more detailed or a stronger response, one way or another. Which, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I certainly love some of my you know. Some of the people who've not liked my work have been very vocal. Like, you know, people said, like, if I had to read another page, I'd kill myself. Or like that. <laughs> oh, geez. Really? Wow. I mean, I, I, either your life is really terrible or, you know, or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or you take these books too seriously. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I salute your uh, thick skin on that. I, I certainly think, you know, criticism is useful. And there are things people have said uh, that I will think about. But I have to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm mainly in it for the, for the praise. <laughs> it honest. is good. It is good when you get it. Um, and and that, is the, that is the most wonderful feeling. And, you know, and, and no book is for everybody. There are always people who will not like it. And I, I accept that, and that's absolutely fine. It's very, very rare, actually, that a reader will criticize a book on a review, and that will make me change the way I write, to be honest. And that's mainly because... I'm, if you like, already developing and trying to take on board stuff. I'll have already had criticism from a whole host of other sources, you know, before I've got to that point. So I'm normally already thinking about things that I want to improve with the next book before that first book has come out. I mean, having said that, if some stellar criticism came in, I would, I would pay attention to it. But, but by and large, now I, I just want to feel good. <laughs> and, and those things are amazing. And, and people as well, uh, you know, the, I, things I never expected to happen, actually, where someone has said something like, I was going through a tough time and your book helped me. That's mm. like, that is mind blowing. 
Speaking of a high praise, Sci-Fi Now said that The Malice is a must-read, and we think so as well. You can pick up a copy. We've got a link to Amazon in the show notes, so if folks want to pick up a copy of The Malice, book two of the Vagrant series, or pick up book one, um, or pick up the short stories, they can head over to your Amazon page and pick that up. Online at runpetewright.com is your website. You're on Twitter as well. Uh, any con appearances coming up for you, Peter Newman? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm guest of honor at Edge Lit, which is coming up in the summer. Uh, I will definitely go to Bristol Con, which is my my local convention, uh, and I'm in talks for some other conventions. Uh, one in London. I might. Uh, I really want to go to WorldCon this year, um, Helsinki. but I don't know yet. Yes, in Helsinki, I think it's going to be wonderful. Uh, but I, I'm, you know, I'm 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 trying to make it happen. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show, Peter Newman. I'm sure we'll have you back yet again once the, uh, <laughs> the seven drops in the U.S. We'll get you back on and mm. tell folks about the uh, final book in the trilogy. But uh, good stuff, Peter. Well, thank you for coming. It's always a pleasure. You're always welcome back home on the Grim Tidings podcast. <laughs> You're the Grim Tidings podcast guest of honor. <laughs> Having the warm and fuzzies. Warm and fuzzies. That's what we're about here on the Grim Tidings Podcast. <laughs> so we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, we want, did want to mention the blog of the week and the fan of the week before we finish up. Blog of the week goes to GrimDarkAlliance.com from our good friend Eric Formley. Cool stuff over there. He's interviewed uh, me over there. Lots of uh, cool cover reveals and interviews and reviews and all sorts of good Grim Dark shit going on over there. So make it a favorite. GrimDarkAlliance.com is our blog of the week this week. And fan of the week goes to Max Pfeffer, who, uh, Peter, you mentioned earlier about uh, getting a, a message about, um, you know, your book helping somebody through a difficult time. Max Pfeffer actually messaged us and said that he was going through a difficult time as well, um, had some uh, medical issues and stuff, and uh, he started listening to the podcast, and that kind of helped him through his difficult time, and it was really cool to get that message but uh, he is our fan of the week uh, he gave us the warm and fuzzies for sure when he messaged us so thanks again max for uh, being a listener of the show and supporting us you are awesome double devil horns to you my friend and then we are online as well at the grim we're on facebook and twitter at grim dark fiction um, thanks again for everybody who follows us on social media be sure to check us out on itunes as well reviews are very helpful till next time everybody stay dark stay grim stay true and all that fun jazz and thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time right here on the grim tidings podcast